haven't read their Bibles out and Pastor Ben's going to come and lead us in worship as we worship around the preaching of the Word of God. Pastor Ben. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. So if you don't have a Bible on your lap or a computer screen or a phone out that has the Bible on there, please do that So do that at this time. I stand up here and I look out and I imagine where you're sitting out here. It's kind of, uh, actually, I, I actually think I like it better in here. In some sense, I can picture you right there and I can, I can picture Norm right there and Norm's about to say something to me. But nothing happens. But, but you know, I picture people out here, and, I, and the, so it actually warms my heart thinking that you're hopefully, Lord willing, out there listening um, to me and to us and to the Word of God, and that you're worshiping with us. Mark chapter 15. This is Palm Sunday, and on Palm Sunday, Jesus was celebrated by thousands of people in Jerusalem. And they celebrated him as the promised Messiah King. But again, he wasn't a king like they were expecting. He is the king of kings, the king of glory. Most kings send their subjects to war to die for them. But Jesus, the king of glory, came and died for his subjects to free them from sin. On Sunday, he was announced as the king and entered into Jerusalem as the king of Israel. But by Friday, Jesus was mocked as a king. The religious leaders framed him as a blasphemer and a traitor to Rome. Pilate inquired of Jesus' claim to be king. Even though he found no fault, he still condemned him as a king, as a traitor. The soldiers paraded him like a king but they did so to taunt him and to torture him. The people demanded that he be crucified for his claim to be king. Six times, actually, in Mark chapter 15 here, Jesus was given the title of king, but never in a way to honor him. Last week, we studied that Jesus was the king that was the rejected king. This week, we will see he is the suffering king, and next week we'll look at him as the victorious king. So our text is Mark chapter 15. We're actually going to read through verse 16 through 39. And here is Jesus is described as, as a suffering servant. I want you to remember as we go through this text, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. You can see it on the screen. Remember that Jesus suffered in this way for us, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. And that's what we'll celebrate next Resurrection Sunday. So Mark chapter Mark chapter 15, I'm actually in the wrong book here. Mark chapter 15, look down in verse 16. The scriptures record at the hand of Mark. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. They called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. They began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. 
They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage before him. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of a purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which, is, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. And also the chief priests and the scribes, with the scribes, mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we might see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. We'll stop right there, and we'll go further as we go into our text. Let's start the message with prayer. Father, I pray for the blessing to be upon the preaching of your word this morning. I don't know who's listening, but you do. I believe that you have appointed them to hear this message. So I pray that they will listen to the truth and they will believe it and commit their life to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 15 speaks of Jesus as one suffering under a curse. Have you ever heard of the curse of the billy goat? If you're a Chicago Cubs fan, you probably have. And the story goes, in 1945, the Cubs were in the World Series. They were against the Detroit Tigers. And it was game four, and the Cubs had won two, and the Detroit Tigers had only won one. And so the, the Cubs were on their way to win the World Series. And there was a man named Billy who owned a bar called the Billy Goat Tavern. I think if you go to Chicago today, it's still there. So you can go there and check it out, check out the story and see if it's actually real or not. But he owned a billy goat he found, I guess, on the side of the road, and that was his mascot. And so actually, Billy, if you look at his picture, not the goat, but the man, he had like a little goatee and he kind of looked like a goat. So it was one of those odd things where the pet looks like the owner. But anyways, he took his billy goat to the Cubs game and he thought he would bring it for good luck. So as they're walking into the stadium there, Mr. Wrigley stopped him, the owner of the field and of the Cubs, and he stopped him and saw the goat there, and he says, get that goat out of here. That goat stinks. And so he took the goat home, and he decided to pronounce a curse upon the Cubs, and it was the goat, it was the curse of the billy goat, is what they called it. And the Cubs lost the World Series that year, and they lost the World Series every year, or not the World Series, but they lost and didn't win the World Series until 2016. And some people... Chicago Cubs fans believe that the curse was real, okay? And obviously, it's, in sports, people have those ideas that, you know, if you wear these socks, you know, they'll help you win for good luck. And if you do this to the other team, it will. I remember when I was growing up, 
I used to watch the basketball, and I would tickle the armpit of the opponent when they were doing free throws, and I you know, had this thought that I'm going to curse them with that and as if it really worked. It's, it's silly stuff, right? I mean, that kind of idea is silly. But the idea of a curse is that it's a declaration of suffering upon someone related to something that he or she has done. That's kind of the idea behind what a curse is. And so, so Billy, the owner, cursed the team, and supposedly they suffered for many years. Many cultures and societies, especially animistic societies, actually have curses within their uh, culture and religion, particularly with voodoo. And you go to Haiti. We were just in Haiti um, back in uh, January, and you see that in that culture. And actually, I think that a lot of that is, uh, behind that is, is demonic powers. And so a lot of the curses that they inflict and the, the pain that's inflicted actually is caused from the demonic world. And I think Satan loves to turn what is true and use it and twist it for his own, his own devices, and so he lies and deceives. So he took something that is actually something real, a curse upon the world, and we'll look at in a moment, and he actually turns it and uses it for his own devious, wicked ways. But the idea of a curse actually is a biblical idea. It actually comes from God. It's actually the, the idea that this world and each person is under a curse for sin. The Bible teaches that Humanity brought this curse upon themselves when they rejected God. In our text today, Mark describes how Jesus invited this curse upon himself and was cursed by God and was cursed to reverse the curse of sin for our sin. So this morning, I want to walk through the suffering of Jesus. What I want to do is really two things. I want to describe the suffering of the curse They want to study the significance of the suffering. In fact, Mark 15, if you look at it, Mark 15, you can see verses 16 through 32 details the suffering of Jesus on the cross. And then verses 33 through 39 have more details, but Mark highlights here some of the significance of his suffering. And so we're going to divide this into two parts, two parts to my outline. Pretty simple. First, we'll see uh, King Jesus suffered the full force of the curse. And so we see that really down to verse 32. And then second, King Jesus suffered to reverse the curse. And that's verses 33 through 39. Now, as we begin, I think it's important for us to understand what is the curse upon us as humans? What's the curse upon this world? In fact, will you do this with me? Will you go back to Genesis chapter 3? And I think it's important for us as we Think about the suffering of Jesus and the fact that he suffered the curse that we have upon us, the curse that we deserve and the the curse of separation from God forever. He actually inflicted that upon himself or invited that upon himself, and God, his Father, actually cursed Jesus on the cross. And so the Bible teaches that that Jesus Christ was the one who, who spoke the worlds into existence in six days. That's Genesis chapter 1. And then Genesis chapter 2, humanity, uh, representative by, represented by Adam and Eve, they um, are told and warned that they are not to sin against God. They, they do sin, that's Genesis chapter 3, and they're warned, if you sin, there will be a curse upon you. There'll be a curse upon this world, and the curse was one of death. Death has the idea of separation, and the idea was this wasn't just that their body would die, although that would happen. So there was, a, there was a physical side to this death. So their bodies would suffer, and eventually they would expire. 
But also there was a spiritual side. Their relationship with God would be broken. They would face separation from God for eternity. So Genesis chapter 3 records the curse upon the world and humanity because of sin. You can see that starting in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 7. You can see it's a spiritual and a physical curse, a, a spiritual and a physical suffering. And so in verse 7, we see that they experienced really the physical suffering of shame. And so in verse 7, the Bible says the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So Adam and Eve were made innocent before God until they sinned against God. And when sin entered their hearts, they, they experienced the suffering of sin and shame. And so therefore, they recognized that they were, they were naked. They needed to clothe themselves. And they tried to hide from each other in that way, but they also tried to hide from God. You can see that in verse 8. So here, here you see this spiritual separation. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So, so here is what we believe is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Here's the pre-incarnate king walking among his people to have fellowship and to enjoy them. But now they feel distant from him. Sin has broken that fellowship. They no longer can enjoy the presence of God. And this right here really represents the worst suffering that any person can experience, and that is rejection from God. That is separation from God. They were, they were made to enjoy God, to bring him glory as they enjoyed him, but they actually decided to follow their own path, and the curse was poured out upon them. Verse 9, the Bible says, And the Lord God said to the man and said to him, called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Isn't it interesting that after he sins, there's this fear that he has? Verse 11, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And of course, God is not asking them because he doesn't know. Why is he asking them? Well, he's helping them to see that they have sinned and the consequences to their sin. God explained that now you have a curse upon you. And he does that in the next few verses. Look down in verse, thir- uh, verse 15. First, he explains the curse upon Satan in the form of a serpent. He says in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And listen, this is, a, this is an amazing curse he puts upon Satan, but also a promise within this, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the curse upon Satan was that a woman would produce an offspring, a seed that would crush the head of Satan, and Satan would crush his heel. So this curse against Satan was actually the hope for all mankind. So in the the middle of this curse upon the world and upon humanity, it's actually this promise that the curse someday will be reversed through the suffering of one to come. His heel would be suffer, would suffer, would be crushed, but he would also crush Satan and all that Satan has brought upon this world, death and sin. And the curse was also 
physical as he goes through and talks about what does it mean for the, the humanity to suffer under this curse. In verse 16, he says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. So, so there will be a suffering physical suffering to bring children into this world. There will be a suffering in the marital relationship. Look at verse 16. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So you'll see this kind of like back and forth, and you'll see marital problems. I was reading an article in the New York Post, and it was talking about just how the coronavirus is causing marriages to have struggles, and it's because men and women are working at home, and now they're kind of spending all their time together, and and they didn't typically do that. And there's a, one particular person that they were talking about that um, is a couple. And he would come and sit on the couch and he would start typing for work. And she's trying to watch a show. And she's really annoyed by him. And she's like, stop typing. That's annoying to me. And, and that might be happening in a relationship like yours. And why does that happen? Why are, why are people uh, having problems? And why do they fight? And why is there th- these struggles that we have? Well, it comes from sin. And sin results in a curse. And so you see... The earth is cursed as well. You can look down in verse 17. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. So actually, not just is Satan cursed, not just are humans cursed, but actually the whole world is cursed. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In other words, life is going to be very difficult. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So it's going to be a very difficult life you're going to have. It's, the world is not going to make it easier. Actually, the world is going to cause, the earth is going to cause many difficulties for you. And then he ends, the curse will also bring forth death. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so the suffering of the cursed is, is separation. It's death. And again, it's physical death, your body's going to decay, and every person will die, but also it's spiritual death. In fact, he, he represents that down in verse 23, where he says, therefore God sent him out, Adam and Eve, out of the Garden of Eden. So he says, it's actually, you're going to be removed from my presence forever. So, so this is the curse upon the world and upon mankind. And understanding Genesis chapter 3 the reason for suffering in the world actually can help you make sense of the world that we're in right now and also can help us understand why did Jesus have to suffer? Like, why did he have to die on the, on the cross? Why did he have to be whipped and bleed like he did? Sometimes in these kind of times, people ask questions. You know, why is there a virus? Why is it spreading around the world? Why is there death? I was seeing that there was uh, this past week, and I think the week before that, there were some earthquakes in Utah and Idaho, and there were some tornadoes a couple weeks ago in Kentucky and, and Texas. And so you see all these, these terrible things happening in the world, and actually people want to know the reason. Like, why is this all happening? And I was reading an article about a man. I'm not going to say his name, but he, he said this. He said, COVID-19 is God's judgment upon the world for, and then he named a particular sin that he thinks America is doing. And I think when you, read, when you read people that say things like that, and sometimes people post that on Facebook, or maybe they, they, you know, they forward that, or what do, you, what do you call that when you go forward? Uh, whatever, you share. There you go. They share that on Facebook. And so sometimes people do that, and they have this idea that God is, is, is bringing judgment for this particular sin. I think you've got to be really careful as a Christian, because 
I don't know that, of God speaking at all in the past couple weeks, right? We have his written revelation here. God hasn't spoken to me. I don't think he's spoken to anyone else. I think he's not going to do that until Christ comes again, until the word comes back uh, in flesh. And so I, so I, don't, I think you got to be careful about doing that. But we can go back and say, well, why are, why are all these kind of things happening? Well, it's because there is, there is this curse upon this world, and we are all a part of the sin of this world. Like, there's, there's consequences to our sin, but also there's consequences to the fact that humanity has rejected God. Each day we can look at the news and see the statistics of people who have gotten sick from the virus or from death. And, and through that, I've started just looking up statistics for a lot of, like, what— you know, how many people die from this and that? And you, you start getting overwhelmed and realizing there's a lot of suffering in this world. There's a lot of death in this world. And I think we can see all that. We should conclude that, that something's wrong with our world. There's, there's, there's a pain in this world for a reason. And, and then the question is, why is that? I saw a funeral online, or I saw pictures of the funeral online, and this family was sad because they lost their mother and they weren't able to actually go to the funeral. They had to watch the funeral from their computer screens and from their phones, which is, that's even doubly sad, right? Not only do you have your mother that you're separated from, but now you can't even attend her funeral. And just the suffering and difficulty in this world is, is so difficult. So how do we interpret all that? Well, the world is groaning under the suffering of the curse. It's a physical suffering, but that really the physical suffering points to a greater suffering, and that's the, the spiritual suffering. So the physical pain of this world should get our attention, should, should wake us up. There's another pain. There's something else that's worse, and that is separation from God, and that is judgment and hell. And so go back to, Gen uh, go back to Mark chapter 15 understanding the reason for suffering is essential for us to understand why did Jesus need to suffer. In fact, when you, when you read through this text and you see Jesus on the cross, I want you to have in your mind that Jesus here is suffering under the curse. What's amazing about the suffering of Jesus, the king here, is that he came into the world, he, he lived among us, he accepted the rejection, and he volunteered to suffer under this curse. So that's why our first point is King Jesus suffered the full force of the curse. Now, when you go through a text like this, it can be easy to uh, maybe highlight the physical, and some people sometimes really sensationalize the physical and kind of minimize the, the spiritual side of Jesus' suffering. Sometimes people don't even really talk about the physical side of Jesus' suffering and just, you know, say this Jesus suffered spiritually, and so they really focus in on that. I think actually both are equally important. I think it was important that Jesus suffered physically, and he suffered spiritually. And so I think it's important to actually highlight both and don't get them out of balance there. And as we consider the suffering in Jesus, I think we should actually study and understand what did it mean that he, he suffered for us on that cross? What did it mean that he was rejected by his father? And so on that day... On that Friday, we'll celebrate that this week, Jesus gave himself over to his father to be cursed. In fact, John chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. As you see, as we go through this text, you'll notice 
Jesus is not being forced to do any of this. He's actually willingly doing this. No one takes my life from me. He says, I lay it down of my own accord. In fact, notice in verse 15, Pilate, look at verse 15, Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And then notice what Jesus does. And the soldiers led him away. They led him. It's like he willingly went with them. The scourging found in verse 15, we talked about last week. It was a violent and inhumane torture. Some prisoners actually died from this flogging before they even made it to the cross. In scourging, the, the guards would flog the criminal with what I said last week was a, called the scorpion. It was a, a whip made of leather straps with, braided with, with sharp objects. And Jesus would have most likely been tied to a post, his back stretched out. And most floggings, two Roman soldiers would stand on either side and they would use that scorpion to, to rip the flesh off the back and the legs of that person. And then notice Jesus allows the soldiers to take him away. So go back to verse 15 where it says that the soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters. And then look down in verse 20. It says, and when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his, his own clothes, on, put his own clothes on him. And then notice, they led him out to crucify him. Again, you see this idea of Jesus willingly giving his life up to be crucified. I mean, think about how most criminals would have approached something like this. They would have cursed they would have fought. They would have tried to get a punch in. They would try to do something to fight back. But Jesus didn't do that. He gave his life over. Isaiah 53.10 says that he made his soul an offering for guilt. He, he was like the lamb that actually crawled up on the altar and laid down to die. He made his own soul an offering for guilt. Crucifixion was used as a deterrent for Rome to keep its subjects in line, it would cause great fear upon those that were thinking about breaking the law. It was such a violent way to die that crucifixion was only really reserved for the worst of criminals. After the flogging, the criminal would be given a cross beam to carry to the, the place of execution. In fact, you can see in verse 21 that Jesus was carrying his cross beam, but at some point he just physically couldn't do it anymore. He was so exhausted from from the flogging that he had received. In verse 21, and they, com they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So no longer was he being led, but notice the verbs change. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, and they brought him, or literally they, they dragged him, not because he didn't want to go. He just physically couldn't do it. They dragged him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. So Jesus was crucified at this place outside the city. And the goal, there, therefore, of crucifixion for criminals, and particularly even for Jesus, was to exact the most pain possible for the longest time possible. And that, meant, that meant, therefore, that they would have taken the wrists of those criminals and they would have nailed those, those, their wrists to a crossbeam. They would have nailed their feet to a post. In fact, we have, I think you can see it behind us, we have a cross back here that kind of pictures what most people think a cross looks like. We have a post and then a cross beam. Jesus would have carried the, the cross beam to the place of crucifixion. 
Some people believe that this cross beam was actually an actual tree. In fact, back in this time, many times they would actually crucify people on trees. There's olive trees would line the street. And think about it. There's not a lot of wood over there, so you don't just cut down trees and use the wood. You know, you try to keep what's there. So sometimes there were trees that were used. Sometimes there were posts. We don't really know because we don't have, you know, the pieces of the cross or anything like that. So we don't, we can't really know that for certain. But for really, it doesn't really matter because in the Jewish mind, whether it was an actual tree or whether it was a post in the ground, it was the same thing. It, it was represented a tree, which was actually pretty significant. In fact, actually five times in the New Testament, Jesus is said to have died on a tree. One of those passages is in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Well, notice this on the screen up here, Galatians 3, 13. This is the verse the kids went through earlier. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So there you see the curse upon us because we have disobeyed God and by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. And for the Jewish people, being hung on a tree symbolized that you were under the curse of God. The the curse of God was death. And the curse of God is not just physical, it's actually spiritual. Like you're separated from God. In fact, that passage that speaks of that is Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23. And so that's the quotation there is, cursed is everyone who hangs in a tree. And so that Old Testament passage basically says if someone commits a capital offense, they're to be hung on a tree and then taken down by the time the sun sets. But being hung on that tree represents that that person is cursed by God. So Jesus hanging on this tree or, or this post, this wooden post, actually when, when the Jewish people would see this, what they would think of is that this person right now is under the curse of God. That's why Paul writes this here. He says, Jesus became a curse for us. Isaiah 53, 6, the Lord has laid, so God laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And over and over, you read passages, prophecies from the Old Testament, scriptures in the New Testament, that God the Father was actually exacting the curse for man upon Jesus. The curse for our sin brought physical and spiritual suffering into our world, and Jesus invited that curse upon himself. He invited the curse of the suffering of shame, and he hung on the cross naked. He he suffered at the hands of sinful men who lied about him and beat him and killed him. He accepted the suffering of the physical agony of his body being, being tortured and then dying. He faced the suffering of separation from everyone around him, those whom he loved, those who hated him. And worst of all, he accepted the agony of spiritual separation, spiritual suffering. He endured the pain of his father pouring out eternal wrath upon his son for every sin. He endured the absence of the comfort and the presence of his father. I was thinking if you could if you could imagine all the people that deserve to be in hell for all of time, which is all of us. Imagine all the sins and the judgment that that they deserve. So think about think about people like Adolf Hitler, think about just the worst people you can think of, people who are murderers and rapists and like like those people deserve judgment. 
And then think about yourself. Think about all the sins that you commit in your entire life, sins that you think in your mind, sins that you say, sins that you do. Like, think of all the things and all the judgment you deserve. And if you could, if you could funnel all the judgment of God, all the wrath of God, all those sins and all the judgment they deserve in hell, you could funnel that upon one person at one time. That's what we see here in our text. Jesus experiencing the wrath of God for our sin. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse, becoming a curse for us. He was cursed on that cross in our place. And so Jesus suffered the full force of the curse. And then second, Jesus Christ suffered to reverse the curse. Jesus invited the suffering and did not mitigate it at all. In fact, look at verse 23. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he actually did not take it. This wine was often given as a drug to criminals, and Jesus here refuses this painkiller. Why? Because he wanted to experience the full force of this curse upon himself. Verse 24, so they crucified him, they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And this is actually a fulfillment of, of Psalm chapter 22 that Jeremy read earlier in our, in our scripture reading. And this action of dividing the garments connected Jesus with the righteous sufferer of Psalm chapter 22. And then verse 25, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. So that was nine o'clock in the morning. For the next three hours until noon, he was mocked and ridiculed by the Sanhedrin, by soldiers, by the people, and even the criminals on either side of him. And then verse 33 says this, and when the sixth hour, that's noon, had come, there was a darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, that's three o'clock. So for three more hours, the whole earth experienced darkness. I mean, think about that. Think about the entire earth experiencing darkness. I mean, we walk outside and it's night. We have these lights around, so it kind of gives this illusion that there's actually, you know, we're not, it's not really dark outside. In fact, last year when we had the fires and they turned off the electricity, we were one of the places that got the electricity turned off. And we walked outside, and for the really the first time since I've ever been here, it was pitch black. I mean, you could actually see the stars. That was pretty amazing. It's like it's kind of a shock in L.A. here. You're like, oh, what's in the sky? The sky, oh, there's stars. Okay. And, and, but even walking across the parking lot, it was just kind of like, wow, it's really dark here. <laughs> just think about the darkness that they experienced. It was noon, right? It went from bright, sunny, blazing hot to nothing for three hours. They experienced darkness. What did the darkness mean? Why did God bring about darkness upon the whole world. Well, darkness symbolized the wrath of God poured out for sin. In the Old Testament, darkness was associated with God's judgment for sin. In fact, think about, think about God's judgment for sin. Think about hell. Hell is described as a place of eternal darkness. The final and most severe judgment upon a person is hell. Listen to Matthew twenty two thirteen. This is Jesus speaking, telling a story. He says, the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him 
into the outer darkness, speaking of hell, in the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that should be a sobering sentence right there to read. Jesus describes hell as a place of darkness. Jesus is the king. And there will be a day when Jesus has a final judgment and those who reject him, he will actually cast them into God's judgment, into this darkness of hell. But on this day, Jesus invited that darkness, that hell to come upon himself. Hell is described as darkness, but also it's a place away from the presence and, and goodness of God. Listen to this verse, 2 Thessalonians 1.9. They will suffer the punishment. This is talking about those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Jesus, Jesus bore that spiritual, the spiritual suffering away from the goodness and the presence of his father. His father couldn't comfort him. He couldn't. He was under the wrath of God. In fact, verse 34 shows that at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I was reading about someone who said that Martin Luther was studying this text here. And for hours, he looked at that verse in verse 34, looked at that phrase in verse 34, and he stared at it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the story goes that he actually stared at that for a long time, for a couple hours. And eventually he stood up and he exclaimed, God? Forsaken God? How can it be? That is probably the most shocking line, the shocking sentence you could find in the Bible right there. That God forsook God. But this is a cry of Jesus, the Son of God, under the curse for sin by his Father, God the Father. This cry of Jesus represents why he came to die. He came to endure the suffering of the curse for us. That was, that was a curse that was physical and, and spiritual separation from his father. In verse 35, the Bible says there were some bystanders hearing it. And they said, behold, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. So they offered wine again. This time he takes it. This wine was sour, so it didn't have alcohol. Even if it did, he was done. Like he was ready to die and about to about to say his, to take his last breath. But likely they did this to mock Jesus. Elijah, in Jewish tradition, would would sometimes come, supposedly come and help someone who was in need. And then the Bible says in John nineteen thirty, when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, "It is." finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The words, it is finished, means paid in full, paid in full. I was reading a story about um, last year at a commencement um, for a college, Morehouse College. They had a speaker come, and the speaker got up. He was a billionaire. His name is Robert F. Smith, and he got up to speak and, you know, talked about life. And then at the very end of his speech, he said, 
I am promising everyone here, there was, there was about 400 students, 396 students that were there. He says, I promise everybody here that I will write a check and pay for all of your student loans. He actually wrote a check for $40 million to pay off their student loans. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, if you're a college student, you'd be like, yes. If, you're, if you were a college student and you're still paying off your student loans, you're like, yes. Sometimes when you're in college, you have those loans, you don't realize how much of a problem it really is until you start have to pay them, right? So maybe those students didn't really appreciate the gift as much as maybe they would have if it was like 10 years later and they're still paying it off, right? But, but he paid it off, paid it in full for them, and they have to accept it, and I imagine everyone did. You'd be a fool not to. But, but the same thing is true with Jesus. We have a debt, but we can't ever pay it back. It's actually an eternal debt. It's an eternal curse upon us, and only an eternal God can pay it. And only if he takes our place, takes the curse for us. And Jesus is the eternal God, eternal son of God who came to die for us. Jesus paid for your sins by suffering and shedding his blood on the cross. He paid it in full. That's why it's so appalling to God when a person acts or or thinks and, and essentially believes that they can do something to get themselves to heaven, that they can have some kind of works to offer to God for forgiveness. If you think that you can earn your forgiveness before God with your religious system, your rituals, your, your trying to obey God's laws, it's, a, it's an offense to God. It's an offense to the cross of Christ. It was paid in full. You can't pay for your own sin. You're not an eternal person. You actually deserve an eternal punishment in hell separated from God. And so disobedience to God's law, it's brought an eternal curse upon you, and only an eternal person can pay for that. So if, if you're a person who thinks, well, I can, I'm going to get to heaven because I've done something, or I'm doing something, or God will look at me and say, you've done enough, it, it's not true. You can't get to heaven by your works. It's only according to the mercy that's given through the cross. On the cross, Jesus became a curse so that we could receive the blessing. See, the opposite of curse is blessing. Jesus became a curse to give us the blessing. In fact, you see that blessing in verse 37. And the Bible says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry. He breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In the temple, there was a room called the Holy of Holies where the mercy seat was. God's special presence was with Israel. Back in the time of Moses and the tabernacle, Moses would go and he would pray before the Lord and God would speak to him. The high priest each year in this time would bring an an offering for sin and he would sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat. And so the Holy of Holies represented God's special presence with his people. And separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place was this massive woven curtain that separated the priests, the regular priests, from the presence of God. And at the final breath of Jesus, the Bible says that the curtain in this temple was torn from top, that's from God, from top to bottom. So Mark records two supernatural events. First, the earth, well, there was an earthquake, but but he doesn't record that. He records... um, the darkness for three hours. Another gospel record that there was an earthquake that associated that. And that earthquake and that darkness represented the, the judgment of God poured out upon Jesus. And the second 
was the torn curtain. That was the second supernatural event that Mark records here. And that represented that fellowship with God was now possible through Jesus Christ. The, the sacrifices in the temple were no longer needed. I was thinking about someone that's standing there by that cross, and it's complete darkness. And there would have been no lights. No one would have brought a candle with them or anything. Complete darkness. And at 3 o'clock, Jesus cries out, and he dies. What's the only thing that they could probably see around there? I mean, maybe a glimmer they could see of Jesus up there, but what's the only thing they can see? It's probably as they look towards the temple, they can probably see some of the sacrifices still flaming over there. So that moment, that, that was really the only light that was taking place. But then 3 o'clock, Jesus dies. The world comes light again, and Jesus dies as the Passover lamb. And after the crucifixion, after the crucifixion, Jesus, uh, Jesus was taken from that cross, and he was buried. We're going to really stop right there this morning and, and enter into the next part as we go later on. After Jesus died on the cross, did, did it just like snap? Did everyone receive forgiveness? Is it like when Jesus died, then therefore everyone's sin was atoned for, and therefore everyone's going to heaven? Well, Jesus' death made it possible for forgiveness, but actually forgiveness only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, let me show you on the screen up here, Galatians 3.13. We've said this verse a couple of times, that, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. But notice the next verse in verse 14. It says, so that in Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham. So Jesus became a curse to give us the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, non-Jewish people, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, notice it says, through faith. So how can you receive the, blo- the promise of forgiveness, of eternal life, of, 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 of being in the presence of God forever, of a relationship with the Lord? It says through faith. Faith And faith is the idea that you believe what we've talked about today is true, and then you commit yourself to that belief, to Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. In fact, there was one standing there who actually, who actually believed in Jesus. In fact, just notice this real quick. I know I said I was going to stop right there, but I can't help but go on. Verse 39 says, And the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, and he said, Truly, this man was the son of God. This man was a centurion, which probably means he was in charge of the crucifixion, maybe even in charge of the flogging. So he, he likely heard everything that was happening, saw everything that was happening. This was not a typical criminal. This guy didn't fight back. He, he was claiming to be a king. He, didn't, he actually said that was true. He told Pilate that. Why didn't he fight back? I, I imagine this man, this centurion probably thought, had many questions, like, why, why doesn't he fight back? Why, why did it go dark? Why is there an earthquake? Like, what's, what's happening? Something's happening here. And he recognized the things that were happening around him actually was more than just things of this earth. There was something supernatural that was taking place. He recognized that this was pointing to something else that was happening. There was an act of God taking place. In fact, God himself, the Son of God, had died on that cross. Sometimes we can look around us, as I said earlier, we can wonder, why, why are all these things happening? Why is there all this pain in the world? What's the answer to that? Well, we saw that earlier, that the pain is caused from the curse of sin. And the curse 
brought upon us spiritual and physical suffering, which, which leads to death and separation from God forever. And each person must come to a place where they confess, like, I deserve, I deserve that death. I deserve the curse from God. And the good news for us is that Jesus came to reverse the curse. In fact, you remember how Mark chapter 1, verse 15, what Jesus said, really his first words in Mark, he says he came to preach. And he said, repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. Turn from your way of thinking and turn and believe the good news. Well, what's the good news? It's what this gospel is about. It's what Jesus has done for us. What's the difference between just advice and good news? You ever thought about that? Like, what, what's good news? Well, I was thinking about this. I was thinking uh, each day you can watch doctors online and on TV, and particularly at the White House. They're giving you advice, right? Wash your hands, stay away from people, and it's good to follow those doctors' advice. But, but if you get sick and you're in the hospital and you're trying to recover and eventually you, you recover, and the doctor comes in and he says, hey, I got some good news for you that, hey, you are now recovered. Like, you're now healthy. You're, no longer do you have the virus. Like, that's the difference between good news and advice. And advice just says you should do this and you should do that and you should probably follow that. But good news tells you this is how you are rescued. And Jesus doesn't just give a good advice. It's not like he's coming to this world and he's like, oh, live like a good person and, you know, follow these things. And that's how sometimes people think of Jesus as, well, he just gave us a lot of good advice. Like, he's a good teacher. No, actually, Jesus came to give us good news. And the good news is that if you trust in him, you turn from believing and living your own way, and you turn and believe in his gospel that he can save your soul. He can save you from the curse of separation from God forever. So we think about this earth that we live on, and why, why, is, why are we still under the curse then? Like, why are we still feeling the pain of, of suffering? Why do we still feel, feel the, the pains of the world with the natural disasters and things like that? Well, I think it's I think the Bible teaches that God is kind and he's patient. And he longs for you to repent and to turn to him and to turn from your sin. And the pain around you, the physical pain of the curse actually should take, should wake you out of sleep to recognize there's a spiritual pain that's worse than the physical pain. You know, pain, if you think about it, is pain is actually a gift from God. I mean, I, one, one time I had a pain in my side. It was so bad. It was actually right here. I felt like I was having a heart attack and I drove myself to the hospital because my wife had just had a baby, so I figured she couldn't drive me. And so on the way to the hospital, which, by the way, I thought that was a bad idea once I was on the road. I wouldn't recommend I'd call an ambulance next time. But anyways, I was driving down. I was thinking, oh, I think I'm going to die. And I really thought I was going to die. I had a strong pain here, went to the ER. I was actually on the ground in front of the desk, maybe a little dramatic so they could see I was really in pain. But I was on the ground, and I was thinking, oh, I really don't feel good. I think, something, I think I'm going to die. They took me back to a room, put me on a, on a bed, and then they gave me morphine. Oh, and then I was feeling pretty good. <laughs> like, once I had the morphine, I was like, I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's a problem anymore. I'm feeling pretty high, actually, right now. But actually, I still had a problem. You see, the pain actually told me there's a problem. And when they did an ultrasound, they found out that actually I had an infection in my gallbladder. They had to remove my gallbladder. They did that. They saved my life. See, pain is actually not a bad thing. It actually tells you that there's sometimes a greater problem you have. And the pain we have in our world actually tells us there's a greater problem we have. The great problem we have is not a virus. Like, that's a problem. Don't get me wrong. I know it's a problem. It causes suffering. It causes difficulty, right? The pains we have are not earthquakes and, and not, in California, not, not the earthquakes that might come someday. The pains that we actually 
have, those pains actually point us to the greater pain that, listen, you are separated from God. You, you don't have a relationship with him because you're under the curse of God. And actually, forever you will be separated from him in hell, in darkness, because you're under the spiritual curse. And you need to be rescued from the curse. So that pain should point you to the idea that Jesus is the one who has become a curse for you so that you can be delivered and receive not the curse, but receive the blessing of Jesus Christ. And he extends it. He offers it to you. You, you might be at home right now and you're, you've been there for three weeks. <laughs> you haven't left or maybe only a couple times you left. And you feel the pain of loneliness, of sadness. But friend, the pain of eternal loneliness is worse. You might feel the pain of your body becoming ill. And I don't know, maybe I'm talking to someone that has a virus or maybe you're sick in another way. But the pain of eternal death is actually far worse. You might feel the emptiness of your, of your life and maybe the guilt of your sin. But the lack of comfort in hell and, and the guilt of sin forever is actually far worse. Hell is far more dreadful and the current pain of the curse in our world is a warning of the future pain to come. It's a reminder that also that Jesus took the curse for you. So friend, if you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, if you haven't come to him and repented and turned from your way and believed his good news, then I invite you to do that this morning. And then believer, for those of us who have turned to Christ, he is our king, he is our, he is our Lord, we can actually have no fear of the curse of this world. Yeah, it's hard. And yeah, we don't want to face the difficulty of a virus and, uh, and of, of maybe a difficult death. Like, we don't want that, right? But, but we don't have to fear things. We don't have to fear the problems of this world. We can trust that God's in charge. He actually loves us. We can be careful. We can do things maybe not to harm other people by spreading a virus to them. But for ourselves, like, we have we have an eternity that's promised. It's eternal life. Like we've already received it and we will have it for eternity. Like we're actually already the sons and daughters of God and we'll have that for eternity. Like we have the spirit of God and so we have the presence of God with us and we'll have that for eternity. And so we can trust that, that, that we actually have now the blessing of God. So there's no need for us to fear. And when we think about this death and suffering of Jesus Christ, the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus Christ as Christians, we should think about in the realm of we have given our life to Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says that, that he died for all, that those who live, those who live in Christ should not live for themselves, but should live for him who died for them and rose again. And so let me encourage you as Christians this week to think about the suffering of Christ, his death for you. And remember that this day, this week, your life is not for yourself. God didn't give it to you for you to live however you want. Frankly, he didn't give it to you to watch Netflix and Amazon all week long, although you might feel like you have nothing else to do. He actually gave it to you, your life to you, so you, and, and most importantly, your spiritual life, so you would live in relationship with him, so you would enjoy him, and so that you would serve him. So let me encourage you this week to consider the sacrifice of Christ and then to to give yourself as a living sacrifice. Jesus was, was led, like he, he willingly crawled up, if you want to say it that way, on that cross. He willingly allowed himself to be, to be sacrificed 
Romans chapter two, or Romans chapter one and two says that we are to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. So Christian, to crawl up on the, the suffering, okay? I mean, in other words, say, I, God, you have my life. No matter what happens, I trust in you. My life is yours. If you're not a believer, would you bow your head right now and cry out to the Lord and turn from your sin? Maybe you need to go to a room by yourself. Maybe you need to get away from, from some people, but let me encourage you. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. And believers, let me encourage you, when I pray in a moment, would you just, you know, if there's anything else on in the room, turn it off in your own heart. Just pray. If there's little children around, ask them to sit down, ask them to be quiet, and just in your heart, come to the Lord and give your heart to Christ today. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the sacrifice of Christ for us, for me. I'm thankful that you had this plan from the, from the beginning, uh, from the beginning of time, actually from before time, from the foundations of the world, God, you actually planned to have your son, Jesus, come to die in our place. I, I think it's so hard for us to even fathom, like, what do we really deserve? What, what curse do we actually deserve forever in hell? Like, and what did Jesus take for us? God, I pray you'll help us just to meditate on that, to, to consider that, to really consider the sacrifice of Christ. And that's the whole point of communion, God. I know it is, but just to, to think about that Jesus suffered in my place, that he physically suffered, he died, he spiritually suffered, he was separated from his father, he, he experienced the wrath of God upon upon himself for sin. And so God, help us to meditate on it and think about that. And then God, help us to take those truths and then God, with that, respond in praise to Jesus and respond in surrender to Jesus Christ. I pray for our church, Lighthouse Bible Church. I pray that, Lord, you'll give us a unity in Christ, a unity to go and serve Christ. Help us not to fear. Help us not to fear what might happen next week or the week after. God, I know that many of us um, are tempted to do that, especially some people who've lost their jobs, or some people who might lose their jobs or don't know where their finances are going to be in a couple weeks or months, or we don't even know what's going to happen with our country. And so, God, we can go down this trail of fear, but God, I pray that our, our minds will actually go down the trail of faith and we'll look to you and recognize that, God, yes, the world's difficult. Yes, there's a curse. Yes, there's suffering. But, God, point us to the fact that you have something greater that you're doing, that, God, you, you actually are have redeemed us from the curse of the law, and you actually have promises for us, and we have an eternal home. We have an eternal kingdom that you have for us. There's a, there's a new world that's going to be created for us. and We look forward to that. So God, I pray you'll, you'll direct our hearts and our minds to you. I pray for anyone listening to my voice, Lord, that doesn't know you, that has not accepted you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that, Lord, today would be the day of their salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining our live stream this morning. And um, if you are a Lighthouse member, um, we hope that you're connecting with each other. And if you have any questions or you need prayer, I'm a phone call away. And unfortunately, I can't visit you, um, but I can visit you over Zoom. So join us tonight at 7 o'clock, and I can visit you on the phone. But we look forward to the day that we can all gather together as a church. And we look forward to the day that Christ will come and we can gather with him in the clouds. In fact, today could be that day. So let's hope for that. God bless you. Have a good evening.